Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment four, SportsSense, Don Garber. He is the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Garber worked for 16 years for the NFL, heading up their international relations department. He's done a solid job as the commissioner of Major League Soccer since taking that post in 1999. We will discuss David Beckham, soccer-only stadiums, and the economics of Major League Soccer. That's coming up with Don Garber in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, we've had some big decision makers on our show. David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA. We've had plenty of owners and agents and apparel executives, but uh, I'm excited to have Don Garber, another commissioner, a major decision maker from the world of sports on our show this week. Of all the sports leagues right now, soccer is on the rise more than anything else, more than football, baseball, basketball. We talk a lot on the show about the NFL and how what a gigantic uh, entity that is. I think the MLS is the next big thing. It's definitely doing much better. Uh, if you look at it from an economic standpoint, 2005, you paid $10 million for a team. Today, you're paying $40 million for a team. There are seven cities that want in for a major league soccer franchise. So anytime you have that kind of demand for your franchises and your league, it's good. The other thing that they've solved is their TV problem. In the early years of major league soccer, they couldn't get anyone to televise their games, and they certainly couldn't get anyone to televise their games and pay them for it. Now they have rights fees. They've got really good deals with ESPN, with Fox, with Univision. So that always helps the health of your league. We talk about that on this show all the time. If you're not being televised widely and people don't know about you, it's really hard for your league to succeed. Well, I think a lot of that is the Beckham factor over the last year, that David Beckham is here. He's one of the most recognizable sports names in the world. He's brought a lot of exposure to American soccer. He's attracted the casual fan. David Beckham transcends soccer. He's a movie star. He's an underwear model. He's like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. People know him. Uh, outside of just soccer. So bringing him to Major League Soccer definitely brought some credibility to that sport. We've got lots of headlines coming up. What a snafu in NASCAR last weekend. One of the bigger snafus I've seen in sports in a long time. We'll tell you about that. And the Yankees have more news with their new ballpark. We'll give you the lowdown on that. But let's just say uh, technology-wise, they're going to be the leaders of the pack headlines coming up next you're listening to sports business radio this is brian berger from sports business radio i know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin to me it's an easy call go where sports business education got its start at the warsaw sports marketing center at the university of oregon as the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. 
With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. Jimmy Johnson's dominating performance in the NASCAR chase for the Cup has drained much of the drama out of the final few races. But ABC tried to insert some comedy last weekend, Nathan. Literally, with 34 laps remaining in last weekend's race, ABC opted to send the race to ESPN2 in favor of America's Funniest Home Videos. you got to be kidding me. The switch prompted comparisons to the NFL's infamous Heidi game and was panned as a slap in the face to race fans in a Bush League move by ABC. This, I think, is a serious slap in your face, and if I'm Brian France with NASCAR, I would have been on the phone irate to ABC executives saying, you're taking my sport, and we're in the chase, and you're putting me on ESPN2, not in favor of uh, a presidential something or other, or Breaking, breaking news. Yeah, the world is on fire. I mean, this is in favor of America's funny. I didn't even know that show was being aired anymore. Yeah, Bob Saget doesn't even host it anymore. I mean, I think this is worse than the Heidi game. The only difference is fans could still switch over and see the game. But what a slap in the face. Does anybody, I can understand, maybe even more if it was Bobby's favorite show, Desperate Housewives. But America's Funniest Home Videos? It's not even funny. Bobby, our NASCAR expert, uh, weigh in on this. You know, it's an embarrassment. The fact that you have two races left in the chase. Okay, so granted, wherever Jimmy Johnson finished on Sunday, he still would have not taken the cup then. So that last race in Miami mattered. The fact that he won doesn't mean anything. Now he just has to finish less than 37th for, you know, possibility for him not to win it. But the fact that you don't air the end of the race... Listen, something could have happened in those laps that gave the championship to somebody else. Something could have gone down, a major crash, something, but you never, ever, ever change. You can't do that. You just Let's look at this from an economic standpoint. The the deal that ABC and NASCAR has, it's a you know, few hundred million dollars. Who's the genius that was sitting at the switch in New York and said, okay, let's go away from the final 34 laps and turn on America's Funniest Home Video? I mean... Who made well, that call? I'll tell you what. I actually worked for a couple years with the guy that made the call. Dick Klein made the call for NBC to switch to the Heidi game. And 20 years later, he was still getting a lot of grief about that decision. I want to know the person's name at ABC who made that call. I couldn't find it anywhere this week in my research. I want to know, man or woman, who made that call at ABC to switch from NASCAR to America's Funniest Videos. If you're going to switch, at least switch to something good. I mean, America's Funniest How Videos, really? How do you feel really? you're a sponsor? Oh. I mean, you've got to be angered. You know, the one thing that we should point out here is the fact the race started late because of inclement weather. That's fine. But then do what, you know, the IRL does and do what some of the others do. Move it to a timed race where you have to fit in with a certain window. Now, there are sports as football and baseball. If they go into extra innings, you know, go into overtime, they preempt other shows. You can always join it in progress. Listen, America's Funniest Home Videos gets good ratings, but I guarantee you 34 laps of a showdown with NASCAR would blow them out of the water. They made the wrong move. 
Color bars could get better ratings than America's Funniest Home Videos. Who told you America's Funniest Videos gets good ratings? I've seen the numbers. It's actually Lately? A, it's a highly popular show. Absolutely. Wow. I am, I'm just out of it in America because I don't think it's funny, and I haven't watched it in decades. All right. Our second headline. I'm off that tangent. The Yankees and Cisco have unveiled the details of their extensive technology partnership for the new Yankee Stadium and the system seems sure to set an industry standard for ballpark connectivity. The $15 million-plus deal calls for wireless access throughout the park, on-demand video replays and statistics and suites, as well as 1,100 flat-screen HDTVs that will deliver fans continuous updates on the game, not to mention traffic and weather wherever they go. Nathan, we've talked many times about the standard is going to be set with the new ballpark for the Yankees. We're seeing what the Cowboys are doing with their football stadium. But, you know, one of the things that most people want when they go to sporting events is wireless connectivity and flat screen TVs and all that stuff. And it sounds like the new Yankee Stadium, which many people have kind of called the four seasons of baseball parks, the Ritz-Carlton of baseball parks, if you will. Sounds like this is just going to add to that experience. Well, you know, Brian, I was out in New York just a couple weeks ago. got to check out the old Yankee Stadium and got to check out the exterior of the new Yankee Stadium, and it is a monstrosity. I have to say that as a sports fan, this depresses me a little bit. It takes away from the game. I mean... I go to a sporting event, and I want to sit in the old stadium. I want to watch the game. I want to be a part of the action. This is becoming so – there's so much technology involved that half the people aren't even watching the game. They're on their computers. They're logging on to email. I want to watch the game. They're watching their fantasy team as far as – They're know, watching desperate housewives on their computer. I mean, it's yeah. getting ridiculous. It is, but you know what? More and more people – that's what they want, especially the corporate sponsors that are coming to the games. They want the food options. They want the technology options. They don't want to just sit there and keep score. Uh, look, there's robots throwing out peanuts and hot dogs. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we're going to get to that point eventually. All right, our next headline. Charlotte Bobcats managing member of basketball operations Michael Jordan said he would like to become majority owner of the Bobcats when and if Current majority owner Bob Johnson, founder of BET, decides to sell the team. This according to the Charlotte Observer this week. Jordan says, if Bob wants to step aside, I have no problem stepping in and saying, hey, look, I'd love to take control of this franchise. Bob's not there yet, but I'll tell you what, if you look at the teams that could be sold in the economic climate that we have with the NBA right now, I wouldn't be surprised in the next year or two if Bob Johnson says to Michael Jordan, okay, you want to be the guy here? I'll sell out. The Bobcats have lost a lot of money. They've had to lay off a good part of their staff before the start of this season. And I think at some point Bob Johnson's going to get the itchy trigger finger and he's going to want to sell this thing. And if Jordan's there which the, with the catcher's mitt to buy it, Jordan is a North Carolina native. He's still a legend in North Carolina. I think it makes sense. Well, yeah, but I just wonder how Jordan will be as an owner. We've seen him in the general manager position. We've seen him come back and play basketball after his career's over. He's unbelievable at marketing, but yet I don't know if I see Jordan being effective as an owner as much as maybe even a GM or, frankly, I you know, probably more a GM than anything else, more than a head coach, more than an owner. Here's what I would be interested to see. You know, right now he is the head of basketball operations. If he became the majority owner, would he step away from that role and just be the owner and sit back and 
let people who he hired do those things, or would he still be as intimately involved as he is right now? I don't think Michael Jordan has surrounded himself with very good people. Larry Brown is his coach now. Larry Brown's a good basketball coach, obviously, a little bit of a vagabond, but obviously a very good basketball coach. Besides that, he seems to, throughout his career, have surrounded himself with a lot of his buddies. And sometimes your buddies don't make the best people for those jobs, and that's come back to kind of hurt him. But maybe if he was the majority owner of this team, he'd step into a different role Uh, hire different people. I'd be interested to see how that would turn out. Yeah, but let's face it. Michael Jordan is never going to fully remove himself from anything that he's got a financial or competitive involvement. He's going to want to be in the day-to-day operations and decision-making of anything that's competitive. He's the most competitive person on the planet aside from maybe Tiger Woods. Well, that will be an interesting situation to watch as it develops. Our next headline. I love this headline. The New Jersey Nets this week announced that the team as a result of the current economic crisis will give unemployed fans who submit their resumes to the Nets job bank up to four free tickets plus access to a November 22nd job fair at the Izide Center. This according to the New York Star-Ledger. The team also will distribute applicants' resumes to its sponsors. The president of the team said hopefully they'll come out and experience the Nets and then when times get better, they'll invest in us because we invested in them. No other team is doing that, and I think it's the appropriate thing to do because times are tough. The Nets will make 300 tickets available to those who register for the program for each of the five selected home games to the Izide Center. So far, Nathan, the Nets have received over 1,200 resumes for this. I think, look, in tough economic times, when you're trying to get people to part with their disposable dollar— I think this is brilliant. This is the kind of outside-the-box thinking that all sports teams really need to start doing. Well, frankly, this sounds like something the Portland Trailblazers would do. They're very involved in their community. I think this is a fantastic promotion. I'm not sure if you sent your resume in yet, Brian, but you might, you might want to get that in there soon. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. But, uh, no, I, I think this is such a great thing for fans. And, and we talk all the time on this show about how sporting events are getting so expensive to go to that nobody can afford to go anymore, especially people who are really down and out because of the economy. It's a great deal. Yeah, and hopefully some of those people get jobs, and wouldn't it be cool if some of the team sponsors were able to step up and offer jobs to some of the people that have sent in their resumes. So we'll keep an eye on that one for you. Our next headline, a federal jury stunned the NFL Players Association this week by awarding a class of retired players $28.1 million for not marketing them and not representing their best interests. There were 2,062 former NFL players who took part in the suit, and they will each be awarded $13,000. The NFL Players Association, who lost their longtime leader, Gene Upshaw, who died suddenly this summer, contended that awarding punitive damages would hurt the group's chances in its labor struggle with the league's owners, and they plan on appealing the ruling. Nathan, I'll tell you what. One of the big stories in the next year, not a lot of people are talking about it right now. You mark my words, there is going to be some serious labor unrest between the NFL Players Association and the owners. And now the fact that there's unrest between the NFL players of now and the retired players and the current Players Association has to pay $28.1 million to the retired players. It is going to be ugly for the NFL in the next few years. Roger Goodell has his work cut out for him. Whoever the NFL Players Association name as their new leader 
to replace Gene Upshaw, that is going to be a pivotal hire. Well, this is a total black eye for the NFL, and I don't know if there'll be a work stoppage or anything to that magnitude like there was with Major League Baseball, but this just is bad on the league. NFL is such a successful league year in and year out that I think you'd lose some fans if you start to see the bickering, especially in between former players and current players. Well, and this is ridiculous. The NFL Players Association, I mean, this is a billion, multi-billion dollar league. There's a lot of money for the owners and the players to share. So, A, when you talk about work stoppages, the average fan is going to go, come on, give me a break. I don't have time to deal with all of that garbage. But then people want to see the current players. I don't care if it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever. They want to see them take care of the past players, the players that laid the groundwork for them to make all the money and have all the success that so they have today. So much more money than they make. So much more money. I mean, you know, look, we had Jack Nicholas on earlier this year. Jack Nicholas, in his entire career, didn't make as much as Tiger Woods made for his bonus paycheck for winning the FedEx Cup. $10 million. Jack Nicholas didn't make that in his career, and Jack Nicholas won more money or more tournaments than Tiger Woods. Tiger appreciates Jack Nicholas and people like him who laid the groundwork. I don't understand why these other leagues don't say, look, I mean, I'm not asking them to give them millions of dollars, but include them in the marketing deals, include them with health insurance and things like that. These are the guys who, who laid the path for the people to make all the money they're making today. Greed. Last week, we talked about on this show the Obama tax plan and how all of these rich athletes are complaining because they're going to have to give up part of their salaries. This is all about the greed. They've got plenty of money, more money than those guys ever made in their entire career. They're making in one season. Our last headline, ESPN and the RNA this week announced an eight-year deal to put all four rounds of the British Open on ESPN starting in 2010. Sources said ESPN will pay British Open organizer RNA about $25 million a year. ESPN will televise 34 hours of live coverage over the four days, including six hours of highlights that will air on ABC. The deal also includes a slew of international and domestic digital rights, including live streaming, as well as broadband, mobile, and VOD rights. ESPN also gets expanded international rights in Canada, Asia, Israel, and Latin America. The deal covers exclusive domestic coverage of the Senior British Open and the 2011 and 2015 Walker Cups. Here's yet another example. You know, everyone talks about the line between the Big Four, what used to be, uh, you know, over-the-air TV, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, and your ESPN's, TBS's, TNT's of the world We're going to see more and more deals like this in the future because ESPN has all their different platforms. They've got TV. They've got several networks. They've got ESPN.com. They've got radio. They've got ESPN360.com on your your mobile devices. You are going to start seeing the big events, and I think the BCS is going to be the next event that starts looking at ESPN or these big networks who can give them all these multiple platforms. The days of I'm only going to be on ABC or CBS or NBC – Those days are pretty much done. Well, call me a bit of a traditionalist, Brian, but I am a little depressed to hear this. Frankly, I feel like ESPN aside, I enjoy watching ESPN. But when I think about watching major sporting events, the Super Bowl, you know, the British Open, the U.S. Open, I enjoy watching them on NBC or ABC or CBS more so than I do on ESPN. Why? Because of the announcers? No, Well, the announcers, I feel like the coverage is better. And frankly, it's nostalgia purposes. Well, ABC's announcers are going to go over to ESPN because they're a part of the same no, I, I, I understand that. I think it's more nostalgic than anything. But think about NBC Sports Golf or, or CBS with Augusta. Think about if Augusta went to ESPN 
you know, I, 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 that's just that's the traditionalist in me. Here's something I like about this deal, and I'm getting sick and tired of this with sports. We're going to see coverage of this event on the same network for all four days. With Major League Baseball playoffs, were the games on TBS? Were they on Fox? With NBA basketball, are they on ESPN? Are they on TNT? Are they on ABC? Most people get tired of hunting around for the coverage of the event they want to watch. At least this event now, all four days, will be on the same network. That's a bonus in my book. Well, we'll see. All right, coming up in segment four, don't forget Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, is going to join us. More Sports Business Radio coming up. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back in a reminder coming up in our next segment. Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, will be joining me. All right, I've got Bobby Corser, our producer, and Nathan Roach in studio. And I want to pose a question to you guys, and then I'll weigh in with uh, my own thoughts If there's an event in the world of sports that you could change right now, it's in need of overhaul, what event is it and how would you change it? Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. Well, can can I go with two events or do I just have to choose one? No, you can give me two. I'm going to give you two, and and I'll start with the Tour de France. I think that this event, more than any other events on the planet, we're not just talking American sports here, but any other event on the planet needs an overhaul. First of all, I think that the majority of people who are familiar with the Tour de France, the casual cycling fan, assume at this is point— Is there a casual cycling fan? <laughs> there's, well, there was the, there's certainly when Lance Armstrong was racing, there okay. was the casual cycling All fan. Right. I think that most people nowadays are skeptical of how much drug use actually goes on, performance-enhancing you drug think? use, goes on in cycling and therefore have tuned it out. Second part of that would be it's on it's on OLN right now I believe the Outdoor Life Network no is it's that on versus it's on I versus think. now yeah well regardless of what see what, you don't even know I don't even know see and that's the worst part about this is the Tour de France was once a very prestigious race back when Greg LeMond was in it and just as recently as Lance Armstrong people actually tuned in you got a casual well, people, fan people in Europe care about it people in America until LeMond and Armstrong mattered. People over here don't care about it. it. Over in Europe, it is the Super Bowl of 
cycling. It's a big deal. But Over here, people it's don't really it's, pay attention it's, to it's, it. It's, it's becoming a black eye even in Europe with all the performance. So how do you drugs. change it? How do you change it? First of all, you clean up the sport, and I know that they're in the process That's of That's easier doing said than done. It is. We've watched it here in Major League Baseball. You need to clean up the sport. And second of all, from an American television standpoint, you need to do more to, to promote your sport or to, to grow the sport of cycling. We just talked about Major League Soccer and how that's becoming a much bigger sports uh, arena here in uh, the United States. Do the same with cycling. And ironically enough, that transitions into the second thing I was going to say in tennis. And I'd specifically hone in on Wimbledon. As much as I just talked about tradition earlier in our uh, headline segment, Wimbledon is too traditional. You need to spice it up. A little bit. Give it a little bit of flair. Tennis has become kind of stagnant, and I, I know that has a lot to do with the players. What, have people come out and, like, break dance in the middle of center court? No, but or let, me, let me give you an example. I've worked Wimbledon a number of okay. years. It's very difficult for a casual, fun, exciting, jovian fan to get into center court to watch the finals. It's very staunch, very stuffy, and you don't get that atmosphere that you might get at, like, the Davis Cup, for example, or even the Ryder Cup in golf. So maybe serve like Morton steak instead of tea and croutons at uh, center court. No, let let a bunch of party animals in there. Okay, Bobby, uh, quickly give me your thoughts on what sporting event would you change, and how would you revamp it? You know, I I talked about this earlier in the year. I want to change the World Series. I want it to be a single location. I want to build it up like the Super Bowl. It's going to take place over ten days. The current the current system has it going basically minimum of eleven days games and breaks. This has a 10 games. You alternate home and away every game, not the 2-3-2 two, two system. You play two games, you take a break. Two games, take a break. 10 days, it's done. You can build it up. Listen, you maybe knock down the price a little bit so you allow the competing team's fans to fly into your city and come make it you know affordable for them. But build it up like the Super Bowl. Alternate the home and the way. Take away the whole all-star thing about you know who gets home field advantage because that makes absolutely no sense to any fan in any sport. Make it simple. It's just... it's. It could probably be the easiest thing to tweak out of any of the four major sports. Well, and you don't have to worry about the the weather like they did this year. The only thing I don't like about it is I think you would get a lot of pushback from fans of the teams who want to have the World Series in there. I mean, imagine, like Nathan just said, if the Cubs do ever make the World Series, the people that have waited for so many years for the Cubs to play a World Series game at Wrigley Field, they would be deprived of that. Look, think about the people, you know, with the Red Sox. They've had a lot of opportunities in the last few years. But I do like your plan, and I definitely think that the World Series needs some major revamping. I kind of talked about it a few weeks ago. I think the first thing they need to do is uh, shorten the schedule. All right, my thing, and I'll, I'll just say this quickly, the BCS. I mean, if you listen to this show, you know that I do not like the current BCS system. I think it's a joke. It's the only system I can think of in any sport where the polls and computers determine who plays whom instead of the on-the-field on the results. Now, I know, you know, with the conference games and things like that, a lot of that is determined, and most of the time we wind up with one versus two, but I'd like to see either a 16-team or an 8-team playoff. I think the BCS, like President-elect Barack Obama, is the thing that needs to be revamped in sports more than anything else. All right, coming up next... Major League Soccer Commissioner Don Garber. We've had Commissioner Stern on this show. We've had some heavy hitters before. But uh, Don Garber is going to join us, talk about the state of his league. He's been commissioner since 1999. He's overseen a lot of growth 
and we're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Don Garber. He is the commissioner for Major League Soccer. He's overseen the league since August of 1999. Thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Oh, it's great to be here. So let's begin by talking a bit about your background. You worked for the NFL, heading up their international business for about 16 years before you took the job as Major League Soccer's commissioner. How did your role with the NFL prepare you for this job? Well, you know, really my early days at the NFL were in marketing and uh, fan development and business development and programming. And for 13 of those 16 years, I worked uh, in the marketing area. And then the last three years, uh, I ran the international business for the league. And it was really the the early part of my career that uh, helped me sort of learn about grassroots marketing and fan development and the latter part of my career when I was working in the international markets that taught me about the game of soccer and really how to uh, try to manage a sport uh, against all odds. And certainly the NFL's business overseas uh, was a challenge and uh, prepared me for the challenge of managing the growth of professional soccer in the United States. And you've done an amazing job. You know, having quality owners in your league is really the foundation for any successful league with the addition of Philadelphia, 11 new owners have joined MLS since 2003. In 2001, MLS had three owners for its then 10 clubs. You'll have 18 teams competing by 2011. Here's the part that's really impressive to me. The expansion fee for a team in 2005 was $10 million. The expansion fee today is a minimum of $40 million. Don, any time you can offer owners a return on their investment like that, you've got an attractive product. Well, you know, I think that's true. Uh, basically, sports are, you know, an opportunity for uh, folks that really like uh, the industry generally but have a passion for a particular sport. In our case, our owners really care a lot about the game of soccer and what the opportunity can be uh, both here and abroad. And the increase in uh, the asset value of, of our teams is really a function of more and more people believing in the game and wanting to invest in it. And obviously, our uh, increased opportunities commercially and with television, and obviously our, our fan base has been growing. So as revenues grow, uh, the opportunity for charging more for expansion fees uh, continues to grow. Uh, but ultimately, that's uh, you know a market factor as opposed to something that really drives our decision-making. 
Well, and I look at some of the owners that are in the league. I mean, guys like Robert Kraft, who own the New England Patriots, and Lamar Hunt, and you know, Paul Allen is part of the new ownership group in Seattle. Oscar De La Hoya. These are big, recognizable names, and they've got lots of ways to spend their money, but they've chosen to spend it with your league. I think that's great. Well, it's you know, it is a positive development for us. Uh, you know, Oscar De La Hoya has got a lot of things he can do with his money, and uh, he's got a very successful company in Golden Boy Productions, and. Uh, has family down in Houston and is originally from that area. So his investment in the Houston Dynamo is one that uh, he was very passionate about. The founders of the league were Phil Anschutz, Robert Kraft, and Lamar Hunt, and they really were the sports industrialists that helped launch professional soccer uh, here in the U.S. And now you have so many uh, what we call the the new sports entrepreneur that uh, are just getting into the business now. This is their you know first investment and one that, after a lot of research, they've determined – uh, is uh, a good way for them to get involved in the business. Guys like Dave Checkett, who owns our team in Real Salt Lake, or Andrew Hauptman in Andel, uh, who bought our Chicago Fire recently, Will Chang and Victor McFarland, two guys in the Bay Area that are tech folks and real estate folks and bought DC United. And most of these people that have come in in the last number of years, this is their first experience in investing in sport. And we think they'll be the Lamar Hunts and Robert Crafts of the next generation. Now, MLS plans on expanding to 18 teams by 2011. Seattle and Philadelphia have already been awarded franchises. You're looking to add two more teams. Now, Atlanta, Miami, Montreal, Ottawa, Portland, St. Louis, and Vancouver are in the mix for those final two slots. What are some of the traits that you're looking for from those seven cities who want MLS teams? Well, it's very specific. It's a, a market that we think will support the game and has a history of uh, of. Uh, passion for the sport, and all those markets have got a great special history with the sport of soccer. It, it goes from there to a strong and, and committed ownership group, and uh, there's a very diverse group of, of entrepreneurs that are uh, representing those uh, seven prospects. And then third is a soccer-specific stadium or appropriate facility, and each one of the prospects has a different plan for a soccer stadium. The construction of stadiums, as I'm sure we'll get to in this conversation, has been a big part of what's been driving the growth of Major League Soccer over the last 10 years. Is it safe to say that we'll see one franchise awarded to a United States city and one to a Canadian city? Or does geography really have anything to do with this? In other words, is there any chance that Vancouver and Portland may be the franchises? Or are you going to try and spread it out a little bit? Well, you know, it's conceivable that we end up with a regional concentration. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to go through a process with our ownership and look through each of the applications and evaluate those three factors, market, ownership, and facility, and, and make a decision where we think we'll have a successful team. You know, at this stage of our development, we're much better off having successful teams that are widely popular and have got strong fan bases and can really be a great model for us to take to other parts of the country than we are uh, trying to think about how we lay out a, uh, a league geographically. You know, If we had a, a spread of uh, 18 teams, and not all of them were successful. That would obviously be not as good a model for us if we had a concentration of teams in a certain region and they were all successful. Now, I live in Portland, Oregon. I've seen firsthand the passion for the soccer in this city. I also know Merritt Paulson. I think he'd make a great owner in your league. Give me your, your brief thoughts on Portland, if you would. Well, you know, Portland's the, you know, a great example of, uh, of where soccer can be very uh, successful. It's, as you know, known as Soccer City USA. It's got a great history with Clive Charles and the university there. A uh, very successful minor league team playing at PGE Park. Uh, Merritt Paulson and his family have... 
uh, really been very excited about their MLS bid and uh, and very passionate about the sport and are real believers in what soccer can be in this country. And uh, we, you know, believe there's great potential for uh, success for MLS in Portland uh, with the Paulson family. I'm joined by Don Garber. He is the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Don, a main reason for the success of MLS is your belief in building soccer-specific stadiums that seat about 18,000 to 27,000 fans. As of this year, more than half of your teams in your league play in soccer-specific stadiums. Maybe discuss the importance of your teams playing in soccer-specific stadiums for the financial health of your league. Well, you know, it goes back to looking at the history of sports generally. You know, in the uh, the 70s, 60s, and 70s, you had NFL teams and MLB teams sharing facilities and um, trying to deal with the specifics of, of changeover on the field. And, and then now... Today, obviously, baseball teams are playing in their own facilities as our NFL teams. And when we first started, we played in football stadiums or American football stadiums and realized very quickly that we needed our own uh, complexes that housed our teams, provided our fans the opportunity to really root just for a football, American, a soccer team as opposed to having to share the tenancy with, uh, with another sport. Uh, it's helped our economics. It's helped the presentation of the game. It's helped our credibility both with our uh, existing fan base but also with our connection to the rest of the, the soccer world. Uh, so it's been a very, very important part of uh, the history of Major League Soccer and a big driver of our success. So we've talked about the importance of having solid team owners also playing in soccer-specific stadiums. Another very important element for your league is visibility for your teams via the media. Maybe you could talk about the impressive array of broadcast partners that you have and the fact that every single game that you play is on TV somewhere. Well, you know, when you look at uh, pro sports leagues around the country, all of them have got national, a combination of national carriers and local carriers and regional sports carriers, and it's taken MLS uh, some time to get that same format for our league. Uh, we've got three national uh, packages in English language and another package in Spanish language. We've got local carriage and for all of our teams. Every game is on television. We've got a digital package called MLS Direct Kick. Uh, you can get our games on the Internet through MLSNet.com. And uh, that's part of what we uh, believe makes us a major league in this country. It really is the distinction that separates our sport from some of the other emerging sports. Uh, and our you know, goal is to continue to try to uh, uh, make our productions better and try to grow our ratings and do all those things that uh, people take for granted with the other leagues. Well, and you've got an attractive enough product that you're able to command rights fees, which is always healthy for your league and the owners as well, right? You know, absolutely, and that's been a big uh, shift for us. Uh, in the early days, we used to have to beg, borrow, and steal to get those deal- deals done and trading programming for packages of media and the like. And uh, now all those packages I remember, uh, mentioned with ABC, ESPN, Fox, Univision, HDNet all pay us for the right to broadcast our games. And then obviously the more media exposure you have, the more attractive you are to corporate sponsorships. You've got blue chip companies like Pepsi, Adidas, American Airlines, Anheuser-Busch, Dick Sporting Goods, and Home Depot all sponsoring your league. What makes MLS, besides just your, your media exposure, such an attractive buy for these companies? Well, you know, a sponsor of, uh, of Major League Soccer gets an audience that they really can't get with other offerings. It's very young. It, it tends to uh, be uh, geared and, uh, and focused on the Hispanic uh, consumer, which is difficult to uh, achieve with the other leagues. Uh, our sponsor business is very strong, continues to grow, and uh, continues, as you said, to, uh, 
uh, be attractive to the blue chip companies that uh, add to the credibility of our league and, and, again, help us with that identity as a major sport. Attendance at your games this year, the highest it's ever been. Are we turning the corner in the United States on people attending soccer games? We know that you know people like to get out and play soccer, but I think one of the challenges in this country is getting people to go and watch a soccer game, whether it's in person or on TV. Are we turning that corner? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I you know I would say that more and more people obviously go to our games than ever before, and that's a positive. Uh, we certainly are are pleased and and. Uh, focused on on continuing to grow that fan base but you know it's a long way a long process for us to continue to to manage uh you know our average attendance around 16,000 is, is something we're very proud of certainly less than some of the other uh, outdoor sports in this country but our league's 13 years old and, and has a lot more growth in front of us uh it's a it's something we're proud of but uh certainly something we're focused on growing over the years to come Last question for you. So much attention was focused on MLS when David Beckham signed with the LA Galaxy. Looking back on that monumental moment for your league, how has the attention his signing brought helped your league with media coverage, sponsorships, increased interest? And then what's Beckham's future in your league? Well, you know, more and more people know about us here and abroad uh, because of David Beckham, and that's a a great comment and statement about uh, his involvement with us. You know, he's arguably one of the most popular uh, celebrities in the world and one of the great soccer players in the world. And uh, having him uh, spend the last uh, three seasons in Major League Soccer has been, uh, two seasons in Major League Soccer has been a great uh, experience for all of us. And, you know, our uh, expectations are that David will be here for many, many years to come. He's just gone on loan to AC Milan for a couple of months and will keep his game sharp and be back uh, to play in MLS for his third season in 2009. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that really helped your league by his signing is he reaches the casual fan. And most any sport, their main goal is to reach the casual fan, and, and I think he allowed you to do that. Uh, you know, he did. It's interesting from our perspective. You know, we're still going after that, what we call the core fan. You know, we want to get every soccer fan in this country to be a fan of Major League Soccer. And uh, David Beckham gave us the audience uh, outside of the core, because obviously the, the core knows a lot about David and uh, is, is seen him play at Real Madrid and seen him play in England. Uh, so people know about us that weren't really paying attention to the sport of soccer or Major League Soccer. You know, now uh, our goal is to try to get deeper into our core core audience, but also try to go out and uh, spend as much time as we can expanding that audience so that our fan base continues to grow. Well, Don, thanks so much for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Morton's nearest you. Go online to mortons.com. Commissioner Garber, continued success. You've done a wonderful job with your league as your tenure as commissioner, and uh, I hope everything goes well for you in the future. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sport Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Solid interview with Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer. If you want to hear that interview in its entirety, you can go onto sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the interviews page. It will be on page three of our interviews page if you're looking for that interview. All right, imprisoned NFL quarterback Michael Vick expects to return to pro football according to his bankruptcy attorneys who laid out a plan to pay creditors based in part on his anticipated earnings. The former Atlanta Falcon star is serving a 23-month sentence in a federal penitentiary for bankrolling a dogfighting ring in rural Virginia and is scheduled to be released on July 20th. Once the NFL's highest-paid player, Vic has assets of $16 million, but liabilities of $20.4 million, according to the court filing in which attorneys wrote in extraordinary detail about Vic's dizzying financial mess, listing a fleet of vehicles, properties, businesses, and the extended family he supported. Nathan, do you think that Michael Vick will find work when he gets out of the big house? He will find work on the field. He will not find work off the field. By that, I mean he will not find marketers that want to have his name associated with theirs. So by my math here, he's about $4 million in the hole. You would think that Michael Vick would be able to sign if he's in good shape, if someone feels like taking a risk on him. I mean, I look at some of the teams around the league. Bobby's Detroit Lions just signed Dante Culpepper to a two-year contract. If Dante Culpepper, (laughs) who basically has two bum legs, can get a two-year deal— I would think someone might take a chance on Michael Vick. Well, look at Dante Culpepper's history, the uh, the boat party, baby, you know, when he was with the Minnesota Vikings. So there, he got a contract. He's a shady guy. Vick might be able to make his way right back into the league. Uh, Bobby, if you were good, you would have had the little uh, Minnesota Vikings cruise uh, thing going <laughs> right there. The love boats. All right. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. That's the last time. I think it's the first time and the last time I will ever sing on this show. Uh, thank you to Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Trading, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a epic week. And we will talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.